You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. Once more, we're glad to have you back with us uh, as we are moving forward in our series on prayer, uh, kind of a mini-series inside of a series, I guess, with uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, the series is called Lord Teach Us uh, How to Pray, and we uh, are looking at, kind of at forgiveness today. It's a topic which yeah, um, we all need. <laughs> we all need to hear more about. I think we get on the surface what it is, but yet uh, we often fail to appreciate two things: God's willingness to forgive us, and two, the responsibility we have to forgive others. And they go hand in hand, as we'll find out. Yeah. So, and I, I would add to that the cost that the cost of uh, forgiveness. that uh, forgiveness cost our Lord. So, Certainly. so this is the fourth series on the on prayer. We've got mm-hmm. a couple more after this. And, um, yeah, so we're, we're looking forward as we talk about the, our need for forgiveness today. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Well, maybe we should uh, open with a prayer, uh, since we're doing a series on prayer. That's probably a good idea. So please join me as we open in prayer today. Father, we give you thanks for this day and this uh, beautiful morning uh, with warm weather that we have today. And pray simply, Lord, that uh, we would uh, resound the refrain that this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I give thanks, O Lord, for your mercies to us, which are new each day as we dig into forgiveness. We appreciate your mercy, and uh, we uh, often don't appreciate it enough, and yet we know that you abundantly forgive us uh, through the blood of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Yeah. So uh, as we talk about the idea of forgiveness, um, again, there's a... um, you know, we can look around and we can probably see examples almost everywhere, or we can share examples. Um, and it might be between two siblings that haven't spoken for years because of some argument that they've had, and um, and neither one wants to give an inch or uh, to forgive the other, and and so they're in a stalemate, and um, and their relationship is locked up. Or there might be an example of a um, uh, a child that's by the uh, deathbed of their parent, and something happened long ago, and um, there was bitterness that got into that relationship, and it affected that relationship, and um, no one offered forgiveness to the other, and and now one person is coming to the end of their life, and it's it's a it's a sad moment um, as there's still tension between uh, two people who should love each other. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're going to look at the the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer, and uh, in this uh, petition, Jesus wants to um, spare us the pain of what people experience because we we don't forgive. Yep. And so Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. He wants to teach us as well, uh, not only the importance of forgiveness and our need our need first of all to be forgiven, but also the need to forgive those around us. And um, and it all grows out of God's love for us, and so we we thank and praise Him for uh, His gracious love, and uh, maybe we should begin by by uh, identifying the the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer. It says, "And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us." And what does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins nor deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But that, but we ask that he would um, give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we will also sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. And um, 
And so, uh, you know, I think back to my seminary days and, and there was a conversation um, that took place between a couple of theologians that were talking and, and one of them said, could, if you could boil the Christian faith down to one thing, what would it be? And, and you know, you could say Christ or the cross, uh, but another word that you could use is forgiveness. And um, that's at the very heart of what God did for us as he sent his son to die on the cross. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's still something we need not only today, but we need daily. Daily. That forgiveness and, and grace of God. And so maybe we ought to, ought to begin by talking about what is the condition of the human being. And um, uh, to help us identify that, we can look at, at an Old Testament passage from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. Okay. Um, yeah, I've got that one. So, uh, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one does what is right and never sins. Okay. And so our, our condition is one of sinfulness. In fact, we would say complete sinfulness. And not everyone is in agreement on that fact. Yeah. Uh, I think as Christians, and frankly, most religious people uh, would agree with that, because most religions are there to solve that problem of our shortcomings. How to be right with God. People who are um, honest with themselves know that they're not all that they should be, and that they commit error. Uh, to err is human, right? Yeah. Uh, to quote Shakespeare. So, um, but to forgive is divine. Um, and so, uh, all all religion in some way is to to whether it's a true religion or false religion is it has that it's at the core of the human heart of it at least that question of what what do I do with the fact that I'm not good, yeah, or that I do things wrong. Yeah. And so religion seeks to give an answer to that. The Christian religion gives, in my opinion, as a pastor in the yeah. Christian faith, the best yeah. answer because the only thing that really ever truly covers the error that we have is sacrifice. And that's what Christ came to do is be the sacrifice, to, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Yeah, I think there's all kinds of words that the Bible uses to talk about sin, mm-hmm. Um and so we we here in the Lord's Prayer, they talk about trespass. Um, that gives the idea that somebody has crossed a, a you know, I, I, I picture a, a fence with a no trespassing sign. And uh, whether someone wants to go on the other side of that fence to, uh, to hunt uh, or to explore um, or to um, uh, just see what's there, um, uh, we we trespass. We go past a line that's been drawn, and and God draw, draws lines for us, uh, not because He doesn't want us to enjoy life, but because He wants to um, uh, help us to recognize the blessings that that we have in life, mm-hmm. and doesn't want us to be hurt. So he puts He draws lines for us for the same reason an autom- automobile manufacturer puts lines on. How far, how fast, how hard an engine can go, because yeah. they know the limitations of the machine that they built, and yeah. God knows the limitations of the creation that He made. So, uh, so trespass is one word. Um, an, another word uh, we've used is sin. We've talked about sin, forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another word is a debt. Uh, it's a kind of an accounting term. If if you owe someone something, uh, you owe them a debt, mm-hmm. and um, uh, that too. Sometimes people pray in the Lord's Prayer, "Forgive us our debts, uh, as we forgive our debtors." And um, so, there's all kinds of words that are are used in Scripture that describe how we miss the mark and um, come up short mm-hmm. um, in our life and how and how God wants us to live it. And um, um, uh, all of those describe sin. There's a there's another passage. Uh, uh, that Paul talks about in the New Testament in Romans six twenty three, and it also identifies our condition. I don't know if you have that one or not. Or I don't. I have the okay. one pulled up. Okay, so I've got I've got uh, Romans six twenty three. It says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." And so here it not only um, reminds us that we sin, but it also tells us the consequence of sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's kind of two thoughts that that people can have with sin is they can either 
they, they, for one, they can acknowledge they have sin or they can reject to acknowledge that, that mm-hmm. there's actual sin. But then if we are real with ourselves and say, yeah, there's sin, there's two things you can do. You can say, but everybody does, so it's okay. Or you can say, but it's not okay, and I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you reach that realization, that's when you start searching for the solution to your sin problem, which is the right place we would say is the place of, of repentance where we are asking God to help us with our problem of sin. Uh, so uh, this this verse here, so Ecclesiastes shares with us that we've all sinned and establishes mm-hmm. that as a fact. The logical progression from there is what's the consequence of that? Yeah. And so, a, another question is, do we deserve forgiveness? That's true too. Um, and so is this something that we deserve from God or we can demand from God? Um, the answer would be no. Uh, we don't demand anything from God. Yeah. Uh, and, and God doesn't beat around the bush with sin either. I mean, he quite plainly states that the wages of sin from grand to small is one and only punishment, death. Yeah. And he, he shows there the severity of it. When we take it lightly, he does not. He does not take sin lightly. Yeah, I think of uh, James that talks about uh, sin. If we've if we've committed uh, uh, even a small sin, uh, we've we've broken the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somebody, I guess, once described the law as a circle, and if the circle is broken anywhere, whether it's a major break or a tiny break, uh, it's broken. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same is true with the law. And. Uh, um, so we, we, it's not something that we deserve, and yet we find that God freely gives us this, this gift uh, of grace, which is a definition of, of a free gift. Um, he gives us that through his son, Jesus Christ. Yep. And um, for that, we're, we're forever thankful. Um, there, there's other pictures that, that all through Scripture that God uses as he talks about sin. And um, uh, another passage in Scripture is from Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 11 to 32. Okay. Um, it's the parable of the lost son, and I can, I can read that section. Okay. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out to one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. Okay, and so here we have a a picture that Jesus uses to describe God, his Father as the Father, and um, us as his children. 
And I, I, I love this whole section of Scripture in, in, in Luke chapter 15, uh, because he tells us a, a set of three stories. Mm-hmm. First of all, of the lost sheep. Uh, one, of the, one out of a hundred gets lost, and what does the shepherd do? But he, he leaves the 99 behind. He goes out searching for the one lost one, and when he finds it, puts it on his shoulders, he comes home, he gathers his family and friends together, and he says, rejoice with me, because that which was lost is now found. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, that's the kind of celebration that will happen in heaven. And, uh, and then Jesus goes on to tell another story of a woman who loses a, a, a coin, and um, it's one out of ten that she loses, and she lights the lamp, she gets out the broom, she sweeps from corner to corner, she searches everywhere until she finds that one lost coin. And when she finds it, she does the same. She gathers family and friends together, and she says, rejoice with me because that which was lost is now found. Um, and then we go on to this, this story, um, which gets more personal as uh, it's not an animal or a, a, you know, just an object, but it's, now it's a person. Mm-hmm. And, and God is wanting to um, help us recognize the, uh, the need for forgiveness and the celebration in heaven that takes place yep. um, uh, when people confess and receive that that grace and forgiveness that God wants us to have, mm-hmm. and uh, and so what what did um, um, what did the Father do? Um, um, and maybe we should start off with another question, more, a little more general question. Uh, what are some of the things in this story that that stand out to you? Yeah, so this story is one that I think most of us are familiar with, and. I've done, and I think you've done, and a lot of people in our congregation have done a study by Tim Keller called Prodigal God. And if you've never done that before, it's not a long read. Uh, It's not a complicated read. It has a video series that's attached to it too, but it really helps to bring all of the things that are going on in the story to light. It's a simple story on the surface, but there's actually all kinds of meaning with regard to our relationship to the Father, our relationship to Jesus Christ the Son, um, who uh, taught, and God's nature as being um, uh, prodigal or giving with you know without regard for his own well-being, giving and giving and giving, or in the son's case, spending and spending and spending without regard to his own well-being either. So, uh, so may, just, maybe just a, the word prodigal means mm-hmm. to do something in excess, in excess, in yeah, ex- lavishly, uh, extravagant way. Yep. And so the younger son was extravagant in his sin. Yep. Uh, the father was extravagant in his grace and forgiveness. And when you think about the shepherd, the shepherd was that way. He left ninety-nine perfectly fine, healthy sheep behind, mm-hmm. possibly at risk to go find one who was definitely at risk and was lost. Same thing you could say with the coin, same thing with this prodigal son, uh, lost son parable. Uh, so there's, it really gets down to the heart of God and how he feels. One, for those who are his faithful believers and followers who are represented by the elder son. Two, by those who are apart from him, who he wants to see return to the fold of, uh, of his you know, family and his embrace. It also shows the lengths that God will go to do that, and it also shows the responsibility that those that are faithful to God have to seek and save and show Jesus Christ to the lost. Um, and so that that then is the discussion about the elder brother. What was the elder brother doing this whole time, other than just soaking up the father's good graces and wealth, and just saying, you know, poo-poo on that younger son? Well, I think there was a bit of a responsibility to go out and track the younger son down and bring him back to honor the father, but he never did that. And so we find ourselves uh, in the contemporary church, probably uh, in in some sense that the younger son, we're lost in our sin, but we're forgiven by Christ. But even more often we're reflected in the older son who are just content with receiving and receiving the blessings of our father without bearing on ourselves the responsibility of reconciling to those who have rejected him. Yeah, there's um, one part of the story um, uh, that stands out, or there's a number of things that stand out in the story, but one of the parts that stand out to me is in verse 17 when it mm-hmm. says of the younger son, he came to his senses. Yep. And that's that that moment of repentance where um, we have a realization where of how far we've fallen, mm-hmm. uh, what our need is, um, and we're going down a path that that is, is going to lead to destruction. Yep. 
and and desperation. So often when you talk to people who have overcome very hard trials, they talk about when they hit that rock bottom moment. And that's really what this is for this mm-hmm. prodigal son. He's, he's hit a rock bottom moment where he's longing to eat the pig's food and can't can't fathom how he got to this level. And there's yeah. a lot of people in in life whose choices in life or circumstances beyond their control have brought them to these moments where they hit rock bottom and they just have this come to their senses moment, this realization moment that this is not what my life should be. And they um, make a change, they repent, they find something to help bring them out of that that pit of, of despair in their yeah. life. Yeah. And so that's you 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 mentioned what repentance is. Repentance is a change of heart. Mm-hmm. It's a turning of direction, like we're we're going one direction and we make a complete about faith about face and start going uh so in another direction. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um but uh so that's what repentance is. And um and then we hear um uh, of the father's love, I, I I love what the story says. Um, when the the son confessed his sin and and said, "Father, I I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to become your son," and 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 it's almost like the father doesn't hear it. Um, he's so happy to have his son back. He he wants him to be forgiven, and so his his father says to the servants, he says, "Quick, bring bring the best robe." Mm-hmm. Uh, and put it on him, put a, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. All of those things would have identified him not as a servant, but as the beloved son mm-hmm. uh, um, who he really was, uh, the beloved son of his father, and and then to bring the fatted calf and to kill it and to celebrate uh, because what was lost is now found. And um, you had mentioned uh, the, the older son. Yeah. Um, and so did the, you know, a question is, did the older son sin against the father? Yes. Okay. In a different fashion, though. Okay. Both sons dishonored and disrespected their father. One did so verbosely and out front, and one did so kind of from the from, from the, the whisperings, sh- from the shadows, yeah. yeah. Um, you can tell that the love that the sons have for their father is not very good, not as good as the father's love for their sons, right? The the youngest son loves his father so little, he doesn't mind completely and utterly disrespecting him, even to the point where he says, I wish you were dead, which is essentially what asking for your inheritance is, is saying, like, I wish you were dead. Yeah. So I could have what's rightfully so mine. What's, what's, yeah, it's yeah, a it's I want a it demand. now. I don't want to wait until yeah. you're dead. You're dead to me anyways. I just want it. The the elder son, it, in his conversation with the father later, says he shares his motives that the only reason why he honors his father to any degree whatsoever or listens to him is because he knows at the end of it all there's a, a reward uh, and that he'll receive honor and he'll receive land and finances and stuff like that. But he doesn't truly um, wish to celebrate in the joy that his father has for the returning of his son. He doesn't want to... Um, you know, honor his father through his actions by going to reclaim the the younger brother who dishonored their family, uh, which which should have been what he should have done to begin with. And this is where Tim Keller launches off into something great when he talks about who Jesus actually is in the story. That Jesus is a portrayal of what the older brother should have been, the one who went out and faced dishonor himself to go find and bring back the younger son. Uh, and so he's the true older brother, and where we are uh, oftentimes like the older brother, but we don't accept the responsibility to go find the, those that, who are lost. Those who are lost, yeah. yeah. So did did either son deserve the father's forgiveness? No. No. And yet we see the extravagant love that the father had for both of his sons, um, and um, how he wanted to express his love and. So a beautiful story. It really is. Um, um, and and it goes right to God's heart as far as his desire uh, to rescue and to save those who are lost. Yep. And um, and that's the kind of God that we have. We have a, a, another <clears throat> Old Testament passage from Psalm 103 mm-hmm. that... Uh, that David, where David talks about our sins and uh, what God does with them after they're forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so 
Uh, Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And um, I think verse 11 is, is worth reading too, right before that. It's for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Okay. And so you see that forgiveness and love are never separated from each other. God's The reason God forgives is because God so loves. Yeah. And um, so why is it so hard uh, to accept God's forgiveness? Sometimes we have a hard time accepting God's forgiveness. Why is that? Sometimes we get into a, a state of mind where we focus so much in, on our sin and we hear the accusations of the accuser, Satan, on us that uh, we think we're unforgivable. Yeah. And so any any signs of God's love for us we take as false. And any, any uh, sort of uh, indications of forgiveness... Are, are undeserved. Are undeserved. We, we don't deserve them. So we think they, they must come with baggage or they must yeah. come with, you know, strings, strings. attached. Yeah. And so we reject it. Yeah. And while while the truth is we don't deserve God's love, yeah. the the truth also is is that God still extends that love and forgiveness to us. And that's why his forgiveness is, a gr- is grace, because it's not deserved. Uh, and that's what makes it so great. Yeah. If it were something we had to work t- for to obtain forgiveness, what kind of great God is that, you know, if, if God, uh, mandated that we earn the forgiveness, which he merits to us, then that's not the God we want. We want the God who loves so much that he freely gives and doesn't ask for, doesn't ask for anything in, in return. Yeah. And, and even though there are, even though God does give us his forgiveness fully and completely, there are still times that we have to struggle with the consequences of our sin. Yep. And so uh, sometimes we hope with the forgiveness that some of the bad consequences will go away as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't happen. It, you know, if you've broken a relationship with someone, um, trust needs to be rebuilt. Yep. And, and that can take a long time. Uh, sin is something that can destroy a relationship quickly. Uh, but it can take a very long time to rebuild that relationship again, mm-hmm. um, whether it's with a, a friend or a spouse or a, or a parent and a child. Um, um, and so we need to understand the consequences that, um, and and we don't always consider um, where our sin has led us and the the depth of of pain that we've caused someone else. Yeah. And uh, and so God wants us to realize that as well. But uh, it's still out of God's love for us. Um, he not only forgives us, but he also empowers us then to forgive other people. And um, Paul talks about that and in a couple of passages, one from Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Yep, I got that one. Okay. Uh, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance with someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, uh, so how are we to forgive? Patiently. Okay. Bearing with each other, meaning uh, when you forgive, it, this is ties into what you were talking about. The consequences of the sin are still there, even when we're forgiven. Mm-hmm. It's not like when you're forgiven, all of a sudden it's like nothing ever happened. Instead, it's you are forgiven, but now that comes with a transformation within you, empowering you to make right the wrong that was committed against your neighbor. So you, when you forgive, you have to be patient. And when you ask for forgiveness, you must also ask for patience from the person that you ask forgiveness because it takes time to heal that wound, to reconcile that broken relationship. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that forgiveness and love uh, go hand in hand, and I think of First uh, Corinthians 13 that talks about the definition of love. It says love is patient and kind, and it's that that kind of love that uh, uh, is also needed when forgiveness is given. And uh, so we need to give with, with forgive with with patience and kindness. Um, but it also goes on to say that we should forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. And um, and. How does God forgive us? I, you know, I think He gives, He forgives with great freedom. Mm-hmm. He forgives with great love. Uh, he forgives completely, um, 
It's not like God forgives us our sin and then he reminds us of that sin the next day. Now, remember, don't do, you know, I, I saw what you did yesterday, so I don't want you to do it again today. Um, um, he doesn't remind us constantly of where we've come from, mm-hmm. but he washes it away and he removes it, uh, as we had read earlier, as far as the East is from the West. It's so interesting to me that when we mm-hmm. talk about forgiveness in the scripture, so often the the idea of forgiveness being at human heart level, but also at God's heart level. The the prayer is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then here in, in this Colossians, it's um, forgive the way that God forgives. Um, so it's like the opposite thing. Uh, so looking at the way God forgives to inform our own forgiving but then the prayer actually turns it into like a command that's actually a little bit frightening as we then ask God in kind to forgive us in the manner that we forgive others and so that that points a mirror very harshly at us of how well we're doing at forgiving others asking God to forgive us in like kind so that puts a burden on us to be patient, loving, kind, and forgiving uh, to a great multitude uh, of offenses against us, because that's what we want God to do for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, There's another passage from Paul that talks about forgiveness from Ephesians 4.32 that says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, again, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And... um, and so again, um, uh, God wants us to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And um, again, there. So why is it at times? Why is it difficult to forgive other people? Because they've hurt us, and it's yeah. the hum- the natural human response to being hurt is to be defensive and to hurt back. It's what mm-hmm. kids do from a very early age. Toddlers. Someone comes up and kicks them, pushes them, slaps them, steals a toy from them. Their natural response is to push retaliation. Back. Yeah, and that's human history. When you look at it, it's like uh, I, I I watched a, a movie recently, the Thirteen Day movie about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and there's a, a section in that where Kennedy's listening to his military advisors. His military advisors are trying to convince him that we need to do a first strike on the missile sites before they become operational. And his wisdom in this is he he sees that any action is going to require a retaliation in kind from the Soviets, which is going to require a retaliation in kind from the United States to escalate to all-out nuclear war. Mm-hmm. And that's the geopolitical version of a toddler saying, he pushed me, so I pushed him back. It all started when he pushed me back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that that process of retaliation is one that we is very natural to us. It comes very easily to us. And so it's very hard to forgive because to forgive is to break the natural instinct within us to retaliate. Yeah, and the, and the, the more we've been hurt, the more difficult it is to forgive. Yeah. And it seems counter to what we as humans perceive as justice, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, mm-hmm. right? And that's the problem is an eye for an eye makes the world blind, right? It, there's a, a natural escalation of retaliation that occurs. There's never justice in the way we truly want it if we continue to perpetuate that cycle of retaliation. Yeah, and an example I think of is something that happened in the United States. Uh, uh, we hear the story of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Yeah. Um, you know, one person was killed, and so the, the other family killed one person, and, and it just went back and forth for years. Mm-hmm. And um, it was... Uh, um, it Someone just, has to break the cycle. Yeah, and that's why caused. the world needs Christians. And the world needs Christians for a lot of reasons, but that to me is one of the most profound and, and upfront reasons why the world needs Christianity. Is Christianity is the religion of stopping the cycle of retaliation. Jesus is the one who said, no more. I'm going to receive all of the injustices that mankind can you know, perpetrate on one person, and I am not going to retaliate. Yeah. 
And we, we see that expressed by Christ even while he was being nailed on the cross, right? Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, Father, forgive them. And, um, and that, was, that was his life. He, he fought against sin and against Satan, and it was through his death that he overcame mm-hmm. and uh, overcame and took on sin, took sin, our sin upon himself uh, when he died on the cross so that forgiveness could be offered. Yep. Yeah. And um, there, there's another passage um, from Matthew's gospel, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 26. Yeah, this comes from the Sermon on the Mount uh, under the topic of murder, which is an interesting topic for talking about that sort of retaliation forgiveness uh, dynamic. And when we read the explanation of the Fifth Commandment, Luther's Catechism, we see that the, the commandment to not murder is not simply to not murder, but it's not to hurt or hurt harm. or harm, but actually to instead preserve people in their body. So um, it's fitting then that Jesus shares here in these verses on murder uh, words about forgiveness. So he says in verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, so what is Jesus telling us in this passage? I, I feel like it's Jesus' way of telling us there's there's nothing good about living in unforgiveness. It it may feel good to refuse forgiveness against someone who's offended you. It may feel good to refuse to ask forgiveness for someone you have offended in the moment, but there's never a long term good that comes from a lack of reconciliation. There's just more hurt. There's more pain, there's an escalation of the pain and offense. Uh, and so the better the better thing by far than trying to go on with your life. That's what he means sort of by the offering your sacrifice before God. Before you go on with your life, before you try and act as if though everything is okay, before you even ask God uh, you know, to forgive you and let you move on with your life, the first thing you must do is be reconciled to your brother. Yeah, um, I kind of find a sense of of urgency in this this passage. Mm, true. Um, you know, he he for, first of all says, first go if you're going to the altar, first go and do this, do it as a matter of urgency. But then uh, he goes on uh, later to say, even settle the matter quickly with your adversary, and so to do it, do it right away. Um, we don't always do that either, do we? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't like to, sometimes we struggle with offering forgiveness to other people, and so we don't do it, and what's the what's the result or the consequences of, of waiting? It's not good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Being, uh, so, so I often kind of wonder, and one of the things I've heard come up recently with this sort of uh, Supreme Court thing that's coming out is the question, if Jesus were here today, what would he think about the society we're living in here in America today? And, you know, you could point fingers at the abortion debate you could point fingers at the 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 economic status of our nation and things like that the way that our culture is but but the litigious society uh, w- would be one that I think Jesus would look and go what in the world are you guys doing like be reconciled to your brother you don't need to go to court over every little thing the the by far better thing to do is to heal the broken relationship before it gets to the point where the only thing that can resolve the conflict between two people is a judge because no one wins. Right. Nobody wins when a judge gets involved, really. I mean, yeah. You Arnold. can have you can have so, so, semi pseudo justice on you know like a, a court settlement or something that'll make you feel better for a while, but you're you'll have to live with the broken relationship and the damage that's been done the rest of your life. So you're not really winning anything except some money, which hopefully makes you feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Somebody once pointed out that our legal system really puts people at odds against each other. Yeah. And so it's... Um, As a default, it's like that's the that's the primary mode we think about our neighbor is, as a potential lawsuit. 
like when they're driving their cars on the street, we think of them as like, oh, well, if they, you know, get into an accident with me, at least I can make it right them in the court, and, right? Yeah. Or like a doctor, right? A doctor, the way we think of doctors is like, they'll help me, but even if they don't, I'll get out with, you know, malpractice lawsuit and it'll be fine. It's just the way we think about a lot of our relationships in life now is like, as a backup, you know, if this relationship falls apart with my spouse, at least I can take them to divorce court and get my fair share out of it. Okay. It's just the wrong way to be thinking about life, yeah. you know? So, so God would have us, as we think about life, he would first of all think about what is our relationship with him and how can that, that broken relationship be repaired? Um, it comes about through the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ uh, and his sacrifice and death uh, on the cross. Uh, and how can not only our relationship with God be restored, but how can our relationship with each other be restored? And it's restored in the same way, uh, through Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's how wonderful it is that, that we are empowered by God um, to forgive others because he first forgives us, right? We, we love because he first loved us. Yep. And uh, what a blessing that that is, that God uh, initiated that process and reached out to us in love. He reached out to find us, uh, to cleanse us, to forgive us, uh, um, and then also has given us the task of doing that with one another Yep. Uh, as he sends us out to be ambassadors in the world. And, um, and um, so uh, as our, our listeners hear this, um, you know, from time to time, it might be difficult to accept God's forgiveness for uh, maybe a particular sin that, that you've done in the past. Um, and has there ever been something that has kept you um, from forgiving yourself? That sometimes might be the hardest thing to do. Yeah, truly. Uh, the guilt and shame is is Satan winning. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what he does with us in our sin, is he tries to convince us that the thing we've done is beyond forgiveness. And and the question is, is there a sin that's beyond God's forgiveness? The unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin, right? And the only the only sin that's mentioned as an unforgivable sin is a sin against is the rejection of the Holy Spirit, right? And what that means, people have misinterpreted and just molded and said one thing. What that essentially means is that you've rejected in yourself the ability to be forgiven because the Holy Spirit is not powerful enough to do so. Got that Jesus's forgiveness for you is not sufficient to wipe away the sin that you've committed. When you when you reject the Holy Spirit, you essentially say, um, "I I've messed up so much. I know you can't help me," and you grow to be in despair. And that's the the quote unquote unforgivable sin, not because of the severity of the sin, but because you've rejected the only source by which forgiveness can be yeah. found. And that's that's different from doubt because we recognize that even as Christians we can we can doubt God's love or God's forgiveness or God's grace from time to time. Um, but it's that that persistent uh, pushing God's spirit away and saying, I don't want you. I don't want you to be a part of my life. Yeah. And in in the end, if we keep pushing God's spirit away and pushing God away, um, even though God doesn't want to go there, he'll say, okay, your will be done. As, as a means of trying to shake you, to bring you back. Um, that's the reason why God kind of affirms people in their, their unbelief, is simply to give them a taste of that rock bottom so that maybe they'll turn, turn around, around and yeah. repent. Yeah. Um, so yes, that's... Uh, yeah, when you mention the difference between an unbelief and doubt, right? It's like... It's the idea of, uh, I believe, help my unbelief, right? That's doubt. When you're like, there are elements in this which I don't get and I'm I really struggle with. Yeah. But even though I struggle and even though I have my doubts, I still call on, on Jesus. And to my, my doubts are not more impactful or more resonating than the core of the faith which I have in the person, Jesus. Yeah. And... Uh, but it's sometimes the hardest thing to do is to forgive ourselves, and, and God gives us the power to do that, first of all, because he forgives us because of what Christ has done. Yep. But uh, um, he doesn't want us to live in, in that guilt and shame, as you mentioned, and that becomes like carrying a weight as we go through this world, mm-hmm. and God doesn't want us to carry that weight. He wants us to dump it at the foot of the cross. And we all carry a certain degree of that 
that guilt baggage. Mm-hmm. And that's the power, I mean, that's the power of the cross, is you can put that guilt at Jesus' feet on the cross. You can put that shame and not have to carry it anymore. He carries it for us. The devil tries to heap more on us. And certainly we do have to live to live up to the consequences of the sin. But have, living up for the consequences is like the the balm that heals the guilt. Uh, Jesus' forgiveness, obviously, is the, the healing. But then it allows us then to make up for the things that we've done. Yeah. And so that moves us past that burden of shame and guilt into a new state of living in his forgiveness. Yeah. So another another question for our listeners is, is has there ever been a situation in your life where you need God's love to empower you to forgive? Every day. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's your yeah. answer, is every yeah. day. Now, there's different degrees, right? We obviously have offenses which impact our neighbor more, right? My little, you know, pet sin of, you know, staying up too late and and watching a movie when I should be going to bed to get my restful sleep is different in its impact than, you know, cheating on a spouse or something like that. But it all is sin, so we all need to be forgiven, um, and we all need to daily ask for forgiveness. Yeah. And it, um, it reminds me, uh, again, uh, I think back to the time at the seminary, there was one of the, one of the profs that I had, um, as he served in the congregation that he was at, he said the people of his congregation referred to him as the forgiveness man. Mm. And uh, he, he, he glowed when he shared that story with us because um, he recognized uh, uh, people need to hear that forgiveness and that grace of God. And, and he had the privilege of uh, being officially called to that congregation to share that message with them. It's a good nickname. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's like the it's like the worst superhero ever, but it's still good. The forgiveness man. Yeah. <laughs> but it man, it's a good good name if you're a pastor. So Yeah. Um so uh again, we ask that you take a moment and reflect on your life. And uh again, forgiveness is the greatest gift that that God offers us uh through his son Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It is at the very heart of the Christian faith. Uh unfortunately, we often take God's forgiveness for granted. And sometimes we can either become too stubborn or um, uh, to accept forgiveness, um, and uh, or it's too easy to justify our behavior and and say, well, again, it's not that bad, or at least I'm not as bad as someone else. And so we don't think we need forgiveness when um, we actually need it each and every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, another thought: How is forgiveness different? Um, and and maybe how is it connected to the means of grace? Oh, that's that's awesome, and and a powerful place to kind of wrap up our whole discussion is on the means of grace because, uh, well, first of all, um, it gets into the discussion of what is a a uh, a means of grace, right? It's the a means is just a a, a vessel by which something occurs. So the means of transportation to most people's workplace today was a car, and so what is the means by which God delivers his undeserved mercies and graces? Well, he does that in many ways, uh, all oriented around his word um, and also the sacraments as okay. well. So what's a sacrament? Well, a sacrament is a sacred act. That's the way we define it is it's instituted by God and has a physical element to it that we can touch, taste, feel, smell, and, and hear. And it's got uh, the forgiveness of sins at the core of what it is by its very nature. So when we talk about baptism, it's a means of grace. Uh, It's centered in God's word. When we say uh, God's command is given in his word, Jesus' command that we should baptize all nations in Matthew 28. So we know that it's instituted by God. God. We know there's a physical element, right? We pour water on a baby's head. The baby certainly knows that. Sometimes they don't like mm-hmm. it too, too terribly much. Uh, or, or adult, you know, we mm-hmm. baptize adults too. We might be doing that soon. It'd be kind of fun. Uh, and then the third one is uh, that it has the at its core the forgiveness of sins. And that's what baptism is. It's a cleansing and renewal. It's an adoption into God's family in the forgiveness of sins. Then you have the bread and the wine through the sacrament of the altar that has a physical element, bread and wine. It has it's instituted by Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And then thirdly, it forgives sins. Do this in remembrance of me and do it for the for forgiveness, the forgiveness of, sins. of sins. Yeah. And so um, those are the sacraments and the means of grace uh, through the word. Yeah. And, and God gives us those gifts freely and uh, wants us to celebrate them, to use them often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we remember our baptism often. We, um, we talk about it in the Lutheran Church. We remember our baptism daily yeah. uh, to remember who we are and what God's done and for us, that he's washed our sins away and, and um, that he, he draws us close to himself and reminds us we're his children. And, and, um, and we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper when we come to church and, again, to hear that forgiveness given to us by God. That, that uh, once again, that unity between forgiveness and love is so present and manifest through the sacraments. It's so up in your face because you see in baptism, it's an adoption. What greater act of love is there than an adoption, right? Yeah. And then you see in the, in the sacraments, this, this beauty of Christian community gathered in fellowship around a table. What, what more loving time in a family's life is there than the time they have seated around the table eating a good meal together? Yeah. And so the forgiveness of sins comes through these wonderful acts of love that God institutes for us. And I just, as soon as we started talking about that, I was like, forgiveness and love. It just was in my mind, it was bouncing around, and I thought it was worth saying that those two are so... Intertwined. Linked. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and so as, uh, you know, as we kind of bring things to an end, uh, just a reminder um, that as God forgives our sins, he removes them uh, as far as the east is from the west, uh, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. And, and uh, so that is something that we as children of God get to celebrate each and every day. Uh, in your prayer earlier, you talked about his mercies that are new every morning. Uh, those he rains down on us every single day. Yep. Uh, for us to celebrate and to share, yep. and uh, how blessed we are when, when we do that. Um, well, as we wrap up, shall we close in prayer? Let's do. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your uh, undeserved love that you pour out into our life uh, and give us the forgiveness of sins. We see that most clearly through the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save those who are lost, and out of his love for us, Uh, was willing to go to the cross uh, to give his life up, to shed his blood, and to die for us, Uh, to die in our place, to die for our sin, uh, not only so that we could be forgiven, but also so that we could forgive those around us uh, in his name. And so we thank you for that privilege and opportunity and blessing that that you pour out into our life. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would give us your Holy Spirit this day. Um, and when there are opportunities to forgive, help us not to be uh, reluctant or hesitant, but help us to forgive freely and fully uh, to remind people that those sins are gone and they are no more. And uh, we just, again, thank you for that privilege. And so bless us as we go out as your uh, forgiven and forgiving people, uh, as we share your love with those around us. Again, we thank you this day, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.